If you could follow somebody for over 10 years, it just speaks volumes to what they're doing, to consistency. There's no one more dynamic in leadership than this guy, than my dad. Nothing and nobody is guaranteed a future. If you hold on to the past, you will lose the future. If you move into a market and you move fast and you're inventive and creative and gutsy, you can take over the market because you can move faster. And you talk about how a company could be valued at $100 million but a broken marriage could kill the value of that company. The first time I spoke at the 100 Million Mastermind, I remember looking out there thinking to myself, everyone in this room is way richer than me. But I remember the opening line, I said, I'm not gonna teach you how to get rich, but I'm gonna teach you how not to die alone. Eventually, you hopefully mature and you realize life isn't about things or experiences, life is about people. And when you make people your value, you enjoy things and you enjoy experiences with those people. These leaders came from around the world and they asked me, hey, what did you do to, you know, to do this in Hollywood with Mosaic? What, what were your, the keys to your success? Mm. I did the same thing when we were succeeding that I did when we were failing because I wasn't chasing the success. I was committed to the principles. Welcome to the department where we have conversations with people who are owning it in their department. And in today's uh, episode, we're going to be talking about how you can own it not in your department, but in your arena. Ooh, I like that. I like that. That's and good. So I'm so excited. I have somebody uh, who I've been following for well over 10 years, which speaks volumes. If you could follow somebody for over 10 years, it just speaks volumes to what they're doing, to consistency. I have with me Erwin McManus and Aaron McManus, his son. Erwin uh, McManus is a master communicator, a creator, a designer, best-selling author. And I'm so excited to be talking about uh, honestly, how to become great at, at what it is you do. And I think you're great at so many things. Oh, thank uh, you. And, and even just seeing how great you are at being a husband and father, you know, uh, you had your event last week, the first time you guys did the arena. Mm -hmm. And seeing the family dynamic, that's what I love. Oh, did you see us all fighting? <laughs> oh man, you, did, yeah, yeah. you missed lunch then. You missed lunch because <laughs> what was there to fight about? No, no, what, no. Uh, nothing. That's the boy, right? It's like yeah. you have to realize in our family, everyone is a Type A. Yeah, and so you have yeah. a lot of Type A personalities, minus Mariah's husband Jake, who it's is just the kindest, warmest, softest human being. Yes, and we we all took this assessment one time called the Strength Finder, and it gives you thirty-two strengths. None of us had the same five in common, except we all had the exact same last one, harmony. Mm, that's funny. <laughs> so none of us have a high value for harmony. There's no peace in the household. But I would say this though, uh, we all have a lot of, everyone has a lot of character in them, which is fun. Mm -hmm. So it's loud, it's rambunctious. We, we, we're, we're always laughing, we're always picking at each other, we're always making fun of each other and nothing's off the table, which is really fun with the family. So we fight, but it's like, an, it's like my, what is my big fat Greek wedding or something? Or my big fat Latino wedding? Or, so that's family, that's what it is. I think we fight like the training in Top Gun. <laughs> Do we? Everyone fights to make each other great. Yeah. And then we're, when, but when we go to war, we're all on the same team. That's so good. Yeah. So just, I would love to know about the dynamic because now now you're tapping into more of like the, the business sector with building the arena, but 30 plus, how many years uh, leading Mosaic? Started Mosaic um, decades ago, but I moved to LA about 31 years ago. Okay, so yeah. over 30 years. And I don't know, I, I love that 
you know, your daughter's leading worship. Your your son's a pastor. Uh, he's actually technically. I'm retired now. He's retired. I was the, I was the creative director and pastor of, of one of the campuses for for years, yeah. years. But uh, yeah, during COVID, I've made the final switch to now I'm building the arena yeah. full time. But we, I say that, but we office out of Mosaic. Anything that Mosaic needs, our team is at service. Right. Yeah. But just in that season yeah. or years, you're you're born in ministry yes yeah uh what would you say are some like good handles to like lead not put the ministry before family how to include your family in it and to the point where they would grow up and make a decision for themselves that they love the house of god yeah i I don't put them in the in a different category like ministry and business i i think it's the same approach Um, a lot of guys run companies and they say that their company is why they didn't have time for their wife or kids Mm. A lot of guys are CEOs or they're even mid-level management, and they still say, well, work is why I couldn't be a, a, a husband and father that I should have been. And then people use ministry and say, well, it was the church, and that's why I really couldn't be there for my wife and my kids. And the truth is, it's about values. Good. It's not about whether you're a pastor or um, an entrepreneur or a CEO or middle management, whether you're a doctor or a dentist. It really is about priorities in life. And I think that's just the reality for me. I didn't need an excuse to not hang with my family. I wanted that's good. to be there. No, like, I'll say it. Do you you were so straight up about this. Do not make do not put ministry before your family. Yeah. Absolutely. He he always gave us the the uh the opportunity to pull the parachute. If he he always told us growing up, if this becomes too much, tell me, mm-hmm. and I will make adjustments in my life. And there were seasons in your life where yeah. you you would be more business heavy, mm-hmm. or you wouldn't speak as much, or you didn't write a book every other year. Mm-hmm. You really took a lot of you really went with like the ebb and flow of life and how we manage things. Mm-hmm. But you always found a way to stay like on your purpose and on your mission. Yeah, that was really really beautiful. Yeah, there was about a six year period where I stopped writing books, I stopped speaking at events, and I went invisible in terms of like the whole church world, ministry world. And um, and it was very strategically because of Aaron. And because I didn't, I knew he was really struggling and going through a, a, wow. per, a particular life journey. And being the son of a semi-famous pastor um, is a lot of heat. It's just a really bad pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. And so I tapped out and went to the business world dominantly and did other things for that season, we never talked about it. It was really five, six years later, you came back and said, Dad, I know that you stopped doing those things for me. And and I never said that. Wow. And that was his observation, and it was true. But it, also, he was coming back going, and now I want to dive back in, and I want you to dive in with me. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I came back with a, like a real sense of, thank you for giving me time to figure out my faith and my journey and my, and my spiritual walk, given we were dealing with obstacles that most people don't deal with. Yeah. There were there were, there were were death threats, there were people showing up the house, there was, it was a pretty like toxic uh, ecosystem at the time. And then I think the biggest thing was that, you, you know, you never, there was never like this separation of like, this is our church and this is our family and I need you to be these people for this space. It was yeah. like, this is a family of humans who are messy. And so you can be messy here, yeah. but we got to work on the mess. That's really good. Yeah. And um, from a very young age, I took them all over the world with me. When Aaron was in, I don't know if it was second grade or first grade or third grade. Where first, are we in the world? Um, I think it's the first time I took you to El Salvador or to Japan. No, I took you to Japan, I think it was. Yeah. 
And I said, Aaron, I'm going to take you out of school. You're going to travel with me to Japan. And he cried and he said, but I want perfect attendance. <laughs> I said, what? He goes, yeah, dad. I was I, in kindergarten. Said, I was five years old. Said, first off, no, this no, is what he told me. I want to have perfect attendance all the way through 12th grade so I can win the 12th grade attendance award. That's I right. was competitive. That's <laughs> this, is, this is the trophy. This and I thought, the... what kid is thinking 12 years ahead for That's an wild. award he's going to win? And I remember telling him, buddy, you're never going to win that award. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was upset with me that I caused him to lose his record. And we flew to Tokyo and I took him all over the world. And by the time he was 15, he'd been to over 30 countries around yeah. the world. Yeah. I wanted to do life with him. You know, he was not um, secondary. Mariah wasn't secondary. And what's so funny is I would alternate trips with them, but Mariah was afraid to fly. So she would turn it down and he'd get to go twice. And he was just really happy that she didn't want to travel until one day she realized that she was losing out. And it was her turn, and Aaron was ready to travel. (laughs) (laughs) My bag's packed, ready to go. And Mariah goes, no, it's my turn. I'm going. And she realized that she'd been losing out this opportunity. So then Mariah went to her 30 countries around the world by the time she was 15, 16 years old. And so they both traveled the world with me. We, um, we did life together. And that's been, to me, the greatest joy. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, you just released Mind Shift. Yes. Um, it doesn't take a genius to think like one. Mm-hmm. I want to go into a genius a little bit, but that's funny because there was a moment where you talk about Aaron being home, you're away in another country, and he's like, uh, come home. And mm-hmm. you're like, I still got some work to do. He's like, come <laughs> home. Well, well, then just bring me back something. <laughs> so I, I, I swear that was Mariah. <laughs> in, in, in my defense, I think it was Mariah. But uh, Mariah would just not even say, come home. He'd be like, where's my gift? Yeah, yeah. Ship that thing. <laughs> Ship it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's cool. in the earlier chapter. Yeah. Um, and Aaron goes, Dad, that makes me look really bad. And I said, you were like in first grade. <laughs> you know, you know? Yeah. it's okay. It's because I, um, people go through transitions of value. And what I'm getting to in that story is that when we're children, we value things. And when we get toward adolescence, we begin to value experiences. And then if we move toward maturity, we begin to value people, relationships. The problem is a lot of people get older, but do, do not move to maturity. So they're full-grown adults, but they're still about things. But it's not Legos, it's Lamborghinis. And, uh, and you know, it, and they might move toward an adolescent stage, even though they're 30 years old, but they're just about experiences. Mm-hmm. And it looks like they're into relationships, but they're not. The reason they just keep turning over different people is because what they want is the experience, not the person. Wow. And eventually, you hopefully mature and you realize life isn't about things or experiences. Life is about people. And when you make people your value, you enjoy things and you enjoy experiences with those people. Mm. That's so good. It's it's the value of valuing people. And in your case, you, you value family above so much. Mm-hmm. And I love how you talk about because you speak at... Uh, uh, a mastermind usually every year, a hundred million dollar mastermind. Great friends. Yeah. And you, and you talk about how a company could be valued at a hundred million dollars, but a broken marriage could kill the value of that company. Oh no, absolutely. In fact, everything we're talking about is in chapter one. It's all about people. Yeah. Because I I feel like that needed to be the seminal chapter, the pivotal chapter of the book. And I remember the first time I spoke at the hundred million mastermind, I remember looking out there thinking to myself, everyone in this room is way richer than me. And so I'm not going to get up here and tell them how to make money. I can tell them how to lose a billion. You know, I can't tell them how to make another billion. But I remember the opening line I said, I'm not going to teach you how to get rich. 
but I'm going to teach you how not to die alone. And that was my opening, I think, line at the 100 million. And because I realized that one of the incredible values I can bring to those really driven type A personality types is to, to have the infrastructure to be able to enjoy success rather than just survive it. Mm. And so, you know, I was golfing the other day with, a, with an older gentleman and we were just talking about life. And he's like, you know what the problem is with young people, Omar? I said, what? Uh, his name is Stan. And he said, it's impossible for you guys to know the faithfulness of God because you haven't lived. And, you know, when I look at your life, number one, you've lived, <laughs> uh, but you've, you've been, uh, you've experienced the faithfulness of God because you haven't quit. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I would like to know, like, leading all the things you're doing, starting the various different projects. And then I want to know how, how to follow well too. But what would you, what, what, how would you encourage somebody, I don't know, to not quit because you have not quit or the idea of quitting because I want to get to mastery. Have you ever asked yourself the question, Omar, how the heck does your videos look and sound so dang crispy? It's literally the number one question I get asked, whether it's privately in the DMs or people commenting on my videos on Instagram or even on YouTube. The reality is I believe the quality of videos that I've been able to produce has been the recipe to my success online. And I wanna give you access to my live document where I've listed out everything I use, both for the podcasts I create, to the YouTube videos I make, as well as to what I use for my smartphone to make it look and sound amazing. The reason I put it on a live doc is because I keep this document updated in real time with everything that I'm using. So just head over to the videodepth.co forward slash crispy, or just click the link down in the show notes. Let's get back to the conversation. Yeah. Ironically, you're actually asking two different questions because one is about the faithfulness of God and the other one's about personal faithfulness. And we tend to blur those together, but they're not really the same thing. Mm. And, you know, you, it, it, the conviction that God is faithful is, is a very personal uh, conviction that comes in your own relationship to God. But developing personal faithfulness is a discipline and a value system that you have to choose for yourself. And, and, I, and I think really there it's, it's that, you know, that adage about keeping promises to yourself, but it's also about keeping promises to other people. Is faithfulness is really about living true to your word mm. and living true to your word even when it's hard and even when your word doesn't produce the results you want. That's good. And mm. see, I, I think we're all kind of, we're all faithful when faithfulness works. <laughs> and, mm. uh, you know, we're all faithful when faithfulness produces results that we want. We're all faithful when faithfulness produces success. And I remember one time these leaders came from around the world and they asked me, hey, what did you do to, you know, to do this in Hollywood with Mosaic? What, what were the keys to your success? And I said, the key is that I did the same thing when we were growing that I was doing when we were declining. Mm. I did the same thing when we were succeeding that I did when we were failing because I wasn't chasing the success. I was committed to the principles. I think that's the difference is that faithfulness is not about chasing success. It is about living with intention and purpose in your life. Mm. And from your perspective, watching that for 
your whole life. Yeah, I mean, he makes it sound so simple, but it, but really I would say this, <laughs> that he, because <laughs> I would say this, is that there's no one more dynamic in, in leadership than I, than I, than this guy, than my dad, because he would do the same thing. And what I think he means by doing the same thing when he succeeded and when he failed, it was the same commitment to the craft, yeah. same commitment to people, same commitment to the mission, right? Mm -hmm. He changed it a million times and what oh, yeah. that looked like, <laughs> what it felt like, the way that it was portrayed. And that was your dynamic nature. Mm -hmm. But, but it was always commitment. But it was always commitment. And yeah. it was the drive. And it was, we're not giving up. If this fails, I mean, I begged him to fire me. In 2017, <laughs> I called, 2018, I think at this point, we've been doing Venice, uh, Mosaic Venice for a year, started on Wednesday nights. It's how we started our podcast, Battle Ready, which is now called Mind Shift. And, you know, we moved from this, this amazing venue we were filling every Wednesday to this, till we got kicked out. And then we turned to this little venue. We couldn't fill it for my life. Couldn't get volunteers to come. Couldn't do anything. And I called him and I'm like, man, I've failed. I think you should fire me. Take the, this campus back into Hollywood and then we'll just figure something out. And he was just like, just shut up and do it until no one comes. Just wow. speak. He's like, commit yourself to gaining the craft and the mastery of learning how to communicate on any level. And until you, and he asked me like, have you done that? And I was like, no. He's like, yeah, you keep having me come and bail you out. Why don't you try to start speaking? And then we'll see if it grows. And it started growing. And it's crazy how it happened. It was six weeks of terror. That's really good. And before it, before it turned, but it was simple for me. This, this, it was second Kings. It's Elisha and Elijah. It's that, that simple concept of I want a double portion. Mm -hmm. So if I spend the next 15, 20 years of my life and all I'm doing is serving him and following him, and I get that double portion, or maybe I don't, but just the idea that it could be there, of like my faithfulness is rewarded, whether it's to me or to the people around me, there's something good in that. And I think that verse always inspired me, and that, that story always inspired me to go, stay faithful to the guy who's faithful to you. Mm. It's easy to follow him because he's, he's, he's a great leader. Yeah. He creates room to follow, right? Yeah. I, I've served under leaders who are dynamic and charismatic and enigmatic and, and incredible communicators, but they don't give you a lot of room to follow. And so it becomes a, a hard thing. So I would say thank you because you gave me a lot of space. Yeah, what's funny is it was a January when he called me up and he basically said, I think you should shut it down, you know, and I think that, you know, I should not do this. And I remember just saying to him, I have another idea. <laughs> 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 Why don't you get your butt into gear? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And, and, uh, and get to work. And, and I said, you haven't trusted your own gifts you haven't trusted your own talent you haven't trusted what god has put inside of you you and i said just so if it's already failed then go and lead because you can't yes. go down no it's really <laughs> right? good. and that thing went from uh, a, a crippled little you know, <laughs> it was bad man it was to, bad. to 500 people cramming into the wow. room so fast it was a blink of an eye and it became the epicenter of all of our creativity. And you know, every, every theme they came out with in Venice, because I let them almost treat themselves like a R&D department, and where they didn't have to follow any of the, um, the rules of Mosaic. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, and they created different branding and different icons and different images. And, um, and we just absorbed them all. That's and so not cool. just in Mosaic, but really all over the world. I went to... Um, Sweden, and and there was one of the most conservative churches in the world there, yeah. and they were using 
the theme that Aaron was using in Venice. Wow. Because they thought it came from a church, but Aaron stole it from Kurt Cobain and Nirvana. <laughs> did, yeah. And this really fundamentalist church would have never used the Nirvana theme That's wild. in their life. So what he did is he baptized it, <laughs> <laughs> sanitized it, yeah. and Christianized it, and they didn't know yeah. that you know Kurt was uh, still having a voice yeah. <laughs> in the church. Yeah. But that was such an interesting season of my life because he was. it was such a good reminder because within three months it completely turned around so it was going from like you know a few hundred people to then sub hundred mm. to then you know so like our volunteer base was most of those people so then you know our volunteer base was like 20 30 people and we had you know maybe 70 people coming so then the switch to going into like five or six hundred people within three months was such a unique space because he was going look you're actually not dead i'm feeling dead and he's like just give it some life and give it some room to grow and watch and see what happens and how quickly we're able to give up on the things that we care so much about but let me tell you one of the things i saw he had about let's say 150 people and he had 149 intense volunteers that's amazing <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and so when he would do this thing called all call before the service everyone was the there church. yeah and our other campuses were going how does he have so many volunteers he doesn't have any non-volunteers. <laughs> he has all volunteers. Yeah. Everyone who joins or comes ends up being a volunteer. And then we started privately calling them the Navy SEALs because yeah. he had such a high standard that you had to really want to dive in at a deep level. So some people would leave Venice and come to Hollywood or one of the other campuses going, we just need something a little less intense. But we would have people leave our campuses and go to his because they wanted to be a part of the Navy they SEALs. and. And that's why it grew so fast afterwards, because he had built such a strong core. That's and so good. what you want to find in leaders, and you know, I have a, a friend named Craig Rochelle, and yeah, you know, was, we mm. were just in a conversation, I think about a week ago, and he he likes extremists. He says, you know, every leader has something that's extreme, and and Aaron is extreme. Like he, everything he does is super intense. Everything he does. Uh, has a has a compulsion to it, and it was magnetic to people who have the same kind of desire to be extreme in excellence, extreme in creativity, extreme in innovation, extreme in execution. And so it wasn't like I, I wasn't really just being nepotistic, going, "You're my son, you know, go give it another shot." I, I saw that and I thought he already has the um, the atomic energy of a nuclear bomb <laughs> you know yeah and uh, he just couldn't see it that's good that's yeah. funny because that i was thinking about craig rochelle because my pastor went to a round table a year ago mm -hmm. and the biggest takeaway he got was just how like conviction is why people will follow you mm -hmm. and he's like i craig uh, was like i have a deep conviction that you can learn and grow from a video message so i actually have that conviction mm. and then there's people in the room like you're probably thinking no, that's not that you can't. Well, it's like, well, that's why it works is because mm -hmm. of conviction. If, it, if you don't have it, don't just do it. But it's funny how you say that with the, the volunteers being a part of like the rally, mm -hmm. because he would say, do, you know, however many services you can absolutely do on a Sunday, even if it's just so people could serve, even if like all that's coming is just the servers, the you know, for yeah, that, for that yeah. thing. But uh, I think, yeah, mm -hmm. I think extreme and conviction are kind of like, mm -hmm. uh, they go hand in hand. That's really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, uh, 
I, I think I'm so fascinated because I was at the event too, and you're talking about how you, you mean the arena, the arena, the arena, live in Los Angeles, Li the arena, <laughs> live in Los Angeles. That's where I was. Thank at. you for coming. Yes, thanks. We so had much, just man. met like a few weeks before. Yeah, this is a big deal. Thank you for making the time. No, I, I'll, I'll tell you why I came. Okay. I've been to a lot of uh, concerts in Las Vegas and around, like I uh, also LA, where I find an artist early in their infancy, mm -hmm. and then they have probably their first big show, and. I didn't know this at the time, but I would go because number one, it's affordable. <laughs> but number two, <laughs> it's because of the intimacy of being able to like have a small room. And I've, I've been listening to everything this artist put out because you can't really, you know, run out of their content. Mm -hmm. And um, and I've done that a few different times with, you know, this rap group called The Cool Kids. Like not too many people knew who they were. And then they had a show in LA and it was a very like, I was like, Dude, this is tight. I'm getting the cool kids like this. But Kendrick Lamar, his first show in Las Vegas was in literally a room like the lobby that you saw when you walked in. Wow. And he actually had to pull a coffee table to stand on to perform. Oh, wow. And um, and I've been a part of a lot of these infancy, you know, moments with, with artists. That's amazing. And I felt this was the first of its kind, mm -hmm. you know, because I know you've been doing like your, the conference for Mosaic for mm -hmm. years. Yeah. But when I saw it at the, like it was at Mosaic in Hollywood, I was like, I have a feeling this is gonna be like, you're gonna get an intimacy that you won't be able to get. It's gonna probably double or triple the next, the year after. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I went, I went, man. I also wanted to support, but Thank more you. than supporting, I got so much out of it. I, um, the guy who spoke on sales, um, he, uh, the one from uh, Europe. England. Phil Jones. Phil, Phil Jones. Jones. Was he man, amazing? He's amazing. The dude. Because that's the skill I want to grow in. Mm. Uh, and not just like. And you know, he could sell. Oh, I did. Yeah, in fact, everyone bought his book. I got. I bought his book. <laughs> yeah. I got, in his slides, like every fourth slide was, his book. Buy my, here's how you buy my book. Right. I thought, this guy's brilliant. He put together all these slides and had the story, but there's always like a little resting place where you could go buy the book in right. the middle of his no, I got, And I love that his book is a plane ride to listen to. Yeah. So it's like. It's just, it was just well, very short really, plane, right? Yeah. LA to Las Vegas. LA to Las Vegas. Yeah, that's smart. Which yeah. I thought I was like, that's actually a genius strategy to just mm -hmm. uh, get people to consume something. I didn't see his next step in the book, but like, I mean, rather than like a web class or webinar, I thought it would be a great idea. Mm. So um, you, the, the arena is a place where you say you want people to grow in the master, grow in mastery in the realm of leadership, communication, and I forget the third one. Character. And character. Yeah. So why did you guys choose those three things? Why did we choose those three things, Aaron? What what extreme or conviction? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, no, no. So initially it was communication. We started the Art of Communication, yeah. a masterclass. About almost two years ago now, we launched yeah. it online mm -hmm. during COVID. And, and we kind of had a bet. He, he, he thought it wasn't going to work. He's like, we'll sell like 30. I'm like, no, we're just like 300. And he's like, all right, if we sell, if we do that, then you can, we're no, partners. I, I made a financial mistake. Well, <laughs> I said, uh, I'll do this and you, th you think it's going to work so you can have 50% of the profit. It was a terrible mistake. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I, rocked I rocked him on that one. <laughs> no, so babe, we started there. So we started there. And I convinced him to just give me one day of your time. And, and I had this old note in my phone from when I was, you know, we're always on a journey of communication, but I really knew nothing. And I was like, give me five steps. And he's like, I won't give you five steps. I'll give you five elements of communication. So he walks me through the five elements of communication. And we filmed that. And that was the communication core value. So that was the, that was the origin of how this began. And what are those five steps real quick? Go. What are the five elements? The elements are wind, water, fire, wood, and earth. And each one of them describe a different aspect of a communicator's inner world. 
and, and the message they bring. Earth is about your character. Wind is about your big idea. Fire is about your passions. Wood is about tactical application. How do you make it grow? And then water is how you connect to the community, is how the whole room connects together. So good. And so each one of these elements describe a different aspect of um, world-class communication. And then from there, we also then develop the three intrinsics, which I talk about. Now, if you look at it from sales, you know, what are, what are the, uh, are there any primal drives that you can tap into on with a customer? And what I'd say is that there are three primal drives that drive every human being. And if you don't tap into them, you're lacking in your story. It's a need for intimacy, a need um, for progress, and a need for meaning. And, and so all great stories have all three of these in them. Every great movie has intimacy, meaning, and destiny, or progress. An average movie has two, a bad movie has one. So um, all the men movies about, with bombs, you know, every Michael Bay movie you know, <laughs> is usually about destiny. We gotta take the land, win the battle, you know, and advance. Every chick flick is about intimacy. It's about love and romance, connection. But when a movie is phenomenal, it has all three. So you look at a movie like Gladiator, it has intimacy because here's a man who loved his family and his family was killed. So his whole story is driven by his love for his family and to reconnect with them. The whole movie is about meaning because the empire he understood with its values with Marcus Aurelius was now gone. And now an evil emperor has taken over and does life have any meaning anymore? Mm. And then it's also about progress. When you've been, uh, even the very beginning of the movie is the barbarians going to war against the Romans and, and, uh, and one of the commanders said to Marcus Aurelius, a, pe um, a people should know when they're defeated. And he says, would you? Mm. Would I? What he's saying is, no, you never give up on progress. You never give up on believing you can advance, you can win. This movie is so rich in those three intrinsics. So all of our courses are built on this level of connection on so the communication good. level, which is not as tactical as maybe it should be at times, right? No, no, I think it, it's really practical. We actually have a whole practical section of it because he's so impractical. So I translate <laughs> him. He drives all the practical sections. And break sections. down like the how-tos, like, okay, yeah. this sounds great, now how do I actually do that? Right. So start with communication and then moved into leadership. And that was the, the, second, the secondary value that we had kind of built. Where we, to be a great leader, you need to understand communication. Right. To be a great communicator, you don't have to be a great leader. Some of the best communicators in the world are awful leaders. Some of the mm -hmm. best pastors in the world are terrible leaders. Yeah. But to, to be a great leader, you have to be able to communicate on some level. Yeah, I love that. You, what you said, you said it's hard to have a strong community without strong communication. Yeah. And they feed into each other. Yes. So we felt, yeah, the second thing we could really build into people is are the leadership competencies to, to be able to scale in any arena in your life, whether it's business or church or it, whether it's in economics or in relationships. Uh, but you, you, you really can't make an impact if you don't learn how to lead at some level mm -hmm. along the way. And that third area was character. And we've kind of gone back and forth on the word there because we talked about mastery and we talked about character. But it's really about self-mastery. But I wanted to kind of, I guess, maybe idealistically make the word character popular again. Because a lot of the people who are researchers in the Stoics, who love Marcus Aurelius and uh, who, who love the writing of Stoicism, they use the word virtues. Mm. And the virtues, I think, are pretty cool. Mm. And I thought, you know, I think we can take the same concept of virtues 
and take the word character because the word character means an indelible mark. So there's 26 characters in the English language. So an A is a character, a T is a character, an X is a character. Hmm. And so I think it's really cool when you say, now, you know, a man has character, what it means he has a definable mark that doesn't change. And so I think we can take this concept character and make it cool again. That's great. And so we have this triangle, which, by the way, is the art piece. It's the triangle on the back of your T-shirt. The back of your T-shirt. That triangle is the arena. And the space in between are the big ideas. So we say the arena is about communication, leadership, character, and big ideas. It's awesome. Because that big ideas are what are created when you begin to dream and imagine. Yes, yeah, right. What has come? What would you say has come easier? I feel like character would probably be the the hardest thing because it's like a lot of people don't keep their word. A lot of people <laughs> struggle with values. Like, mm-hmm. um, but I, between communication and leadership, what have you felt has come natural versus one you'd have to you'd really had to work on? That's a really good question. Mm. You have thoughts on that? I know my answer, but I'm curious. Wait, what's your answer? My answer, I think, would be naturally leadership makes sense to me. Cause I think I have a, a, I think I, I'm, I was, I was five years old thinking 12 years ahead. Yeah. So vision, it comes naturally. I've also been around a visionary my whole life. So I think vision is something that I've, I've, I've learned to, to grow in. Um, but I love having the ball in my hand. I love the strategic side of being able to lead people and being around people. Communication has been my Achilles heel and character has been my Achilles heel. Character is something I've, I'm always in the process of growing in and communication is one of those things that's like, if you do not attack it daily, you will never grow. Um, and so those are my things. I think I'm, I'm getting into one. I've done one pretty well. Mm-hmm. The other two, I'm on, on the way up. Yeah, I, I actually think if I look back honestly, leadership was more natural for me than communication. No one thought I would be a communicator. Wow. Uh, not my family, not anyone who knew me. But no one thought I was going to be a leader either. So, <laughs> and I, I actually think that um, big ideas was the were was actually the most natural thing for me to to think in terms of in the world of innovation and creativity and imagination. That was like a more natural space, and character was something I really valued from for as far back as I can remember. I'm not even sure why. I wasn't a person of faith. I didn't believe in God. I didn't, I didn't know anything about Jesus. I wasn't a Christian. But I really admired people in history who had character. And so I was drawn to character because I felt like I wanted to be a noble human being. Mm. And, and so that I think in some ways that magnetized me to Jesus. So, uh, anyone who has a value for character is going to crash into Jesus one day. I love that. <laughs> you know? And that's so it worked the other way around for me. It wasn't like, oh, I came to Jesus and now I value character. I had a high value for character and it drove me to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and then I started leading by accident only because I saw things that needed to happen. No one would take it on. So I feel like I, I began leading by default. I was happy not to lead. And in fact, I was a part of this um, leadership um, process years and years ago. And they told me, and I had this um, characteristic that I'd never heard of before. It was called tough poise. And I said, what is tough poise? And they said, well, a basic way of describing is no one will know you're a leader until there's a crisis. <laughs> and because uh, you don't need to lead. You're just sort of like chill and you'll follow. You'll be on the team. But the moment you see something that must be done, and everyone else begins to panic, you just naturally elevate. 
He goes, so the more pressure there is in the world around you, the more you're just going to rise at the top. Mm. And we had a fight earlier today about the fact that uh, my life trait has been I choose the path of greatest resistance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he was, you know, we're talking about it going, hey, every once in a while, can we choose a path of like lesser resistance, you know, and, and enjoy that and benefit from that. And I go, yes, we should. And you're right. My tendency has always been, I, if I look and go, this is the hardest thing to do, I choose that. This is the most impossible thing to succeed at, I choose that. Mm. This is the environment where you're guaranteed to fail, I choose that spot. And I think it's because I have the psychological thing called tough poise. I need a massive crisis or challenge to cause me to lead. Wow. And then with communication, I never thought I was going to speak. I was so shy and so introverted, but I finally had something to say. So I don't know if I became a speaker or just felt like I had to say something. And so it was so important. It demanded that I learn the craft. Some people, I think, want to become famous speakers and search for their message. <laughs> yeah. I was the other way around. I had a message and I felt I would be ashamed if that message had been communicated in a way it didn't deserve. That's good. They say, I forget who says it, they do, but it's <laughs> a prepared messenger is better than a prepared message. No, um, that's good. I like that. Who has, who has been some voices, like when you, when you think about the craft of, of communication that you were, that you were drawn to? Well, frankly, Christianity has a really huge advantage in some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. People don't realize, like, the coffee shop movement across the world, they should thank the church. I mean, you know, <laughs> I I mean Christianity really crushed it <laughs> in having the best coffee shop cultures in yeah. the world. Wow. And um, Christianity was really like the incubator for so many of the social media giants. It's kind of astonishing when you yeah. think about it. And... Right now, one of the secrets in the entrepreneurial world is a lot of the new wealth, new entrepreneurs, they're actually Christians because it takes a lot of faith to start things from scratch. Mm -hmm. But if you work backwards, the best singers came out of the church. I mean, right. that's why we have Whitney Houston. That's why we have Aretha Franklin. That's why we have Beyonce because the church had such a high culture for music and, it's, and Christianity had the best incubator for communicators. So when I became a follower of Jesus, and I started hearing these speakers, I've never heard speakers that good. Mm -hmm. I didn't know people could actually be that interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I know there are a lot of people who are not good speakers, but I would listen to politicians, then I would listen to a preacher, and I'd go, T.D. Jakes is way, way better <laughs> than Bill Clinton. Yeah. Right? You, you know, there's no comparison. They would say Ronald Reagan is the best communicator as a president, but he would be as good as the pastor of a mid-sized church. And so I think sometimes people don't realize what kind of incubator the church is for human talent and yeah. human potential. I love that. I love so I come to faith and I start hearing all these incredible communicators. And part of what I realized is, oh, they have deep conviction. Like they really believe this and they really care. And because they believe it and because they care, it creates a dynamic. And so in me, I thought, okay, two things. Only talk about things you believe. And only talk about things you care about. And that'll create some kind of chemical response. That's good. That will turn into what people call a good communicator or a great communicator. Hmm. Yeah. I love that you said that the church is like an incubator. Because like even for create like 
Sean, I know you just did an interview with mm-hmm. Sean, Kyle, like we've all found our craft and developed our craft in the church. Like and, Ryan Panetta, I mean, all, oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah it's like it's all crazy. these guys. And then oh, like yeah. the, the strip, uh, the Las Vegas strip, people working in at those Cirque shows, <laughs> dude, because there's no other place you can get the repetition with the with the level of a lot of times equipment or even uh, the level to perform or, you know, just the excellence that we want to be at for on a Sunday. Yeah, even the innovations in production. Right. I mean, so many of that, so much of that was incubated in the church, lighting and sound. No one else except for the, you know, the world of television and film had to figure out how to put on an event every single Sunday. Right. Exactly. You know, with that, and, yeah, you, it's coming yeah. whether you like it or not. And then when the churches grew, they're doing it every single Sunday for 5,000 and 10,000 and 20,000. The greatest production teams in the world were volunteers at churches. And they're now working in the industry everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so even if you don't believe in God, you should believe in what happens in human community mm. when you have a common goal together because so it, it creates something really extraordinary. Mm. What has been the favorite, your favorite thing that like the church has taught you? Uh, People are messy. But, <laughs> no, because I I, th- I I say that in a good way because I think the thing that the being outside of the church has taught me is that people are messy. Yeah, I think when we're in the church, we get we're like, oh my gosh, it's a car wreck. But there's there's car wrecks outside of the church as well. Yeah, and so I think just this right this reality that we're human and it's good to be human. It isn't always great to lean into the most human uh, desires, but that being human and having a healthy relationship with being human, not necessarily being Christian or being in the church, but having an identity as someone that God has created yeah. has been the, probably the most prolific thing that I've learned you know, through you and through the church is that having a healthy relationship with my humanity will, will, will help my longevity. And survive and not survival but like thriving in life because i think for so long it was like how do i become the best christian yeah how do i meet the needs of, of the and the expectations of the church around me especially being a pastor's kid and realizing going no no i need to be the most artistic human the most spiritual human that i can be really helped me have maybe a healthy relationship with it yeah i think even aaron and mariah his sister they're both really exceptional leaders and the incubator of the church with all of its downside is that you get to be in an incubator of leadership. Mm. Because it's not hard. Well, it's not as hard to lead a company where you have 30 employees all being paid. Right. In comparison to leading 30 volunteers. <laughs> it's much harder to lead 30 volunteers. Because when you're leading 30 volunteers, they're not getting paid by you. Right. You're getting their discretionary time. They have to choose to jump on board. Leadership is a much different dynamic than when you go, you work here, get this job done. And in the church, you're having to learn how to lead by tapping into people's passion, tapping into their intention, their creativity. You know, you have to build relationships. You have to build common values and vision. You have to do things at a leadership level in the church that you never learn in the business world. Mm. I love that. I think John Maxwell says that's one of the highest forms of leadership mm-hmm. is church leadership because of the volunteer nature. Um, the motive is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're so good at so many things. You're a multifaceted human being. Um, and there's that saying that, like, you know, be a jack of all trades. 
But then on the contrary, finish the statement. Go ahead, insult me. But a master of none. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta, yeah, and that's why we're here because I'm a master of none. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like what, like being being good at a lot of things is not a lot of people can can do that or maybe like tap into that. You 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 say in the book that you are a coach to high level, high capacity mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. Capacity is like mm-hmm. something that kind of a high capacity person gets very frustrated with a low capacity person, but is, I don't know, I, I, like you, you trying a lot of things, but you value mastery. How do you like walk in that tension? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I might need to really process this because you're the second or third person that's used that same phrase or when you're a jack of all trades of a lot of trades and you seem like you have mastery over some right <laughs> and, but you uh, know the full statement yes you're a master of none no that's not the full statement what's the full, no, statement? the full statement is a jack of all trades is a master of none but oftentimes better than a master of one but culture has adopted the first half of the phrase dang and that's i knew ba- that and that's, i just that's why i wanted Aaron here <laughs> this is why i wanted to hear it i gotta tell you i never knew the last part no, of it no me neither TikTok. How did, how did you know <laughs> TikTok. that? TikTok. I follow quotes, but 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 I but I do too. But I somehow have missed that one all my life. That's yes, because I've been constantly yes. insulted by being a jack of all trades and a master of none. But a master of some is better than no, no. But oftentimes a, a master of, of sorry, what is it? This is why I had to look it up. But oftentimes better than a master of one. So See, I'm not a master of one. Right. Yeah. I know you'd like that one. Yeah, I do. No, I that's like awesome. it a lot. I like it a lot. <laughs> but, I, I, <laughs> but I I do think this statement is 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 a is a window into like a lifetime mm. of excellence, right? Yeah. Because the reality is that like, you know, so they, I got asked this at dinner last night, you know, what were you good at at 24? And I was like, nothing. Cuz I don't think anyone's like you might maybe you're good at something at 24. Yeah, you're great at having opinions. Great at having opinions. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's you know, what I was great at 24. At, tw- <laughs> at 24 I thought I knew everything. And at 30 I laughed at myself going, "Oh, you know nothing." Yeah. So now maybe try to learn some things. Yeah. And and I do think like your life is a really interesting one because you will pick up a new hobby or a new skill every year, every 6 months. And I, I have to like limit the amount of companies that you start in a year because I'm like, no, 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 no. For me, we, we, have to, we have to just slow it down a little bit. Like the arena conference, it happened in seven weeks. So five. The okay. website went up in five weeks. Okay. We came up with the idea in seven weeks. Yes. <laughs> yes. It doesn't count until it goes public. That's funny. Yeah, from the point where we sent the text to the speakers yeah. to the point we announced that we were going to yeah. do this meetup. I love it. And, and so, for, you know, for that, it was just, and now it's birthed into something else. Yeah. So now we're building something out of that world. And, and, and I'm grateful you, you, were able to, you were able to be a part of it. And I hope you come back. Because I think that's now, now that's the arena for all of our ideas. It's how it now connects us to a different, uh, like, heartbeat in the world yeah. that we would have never experienced before. And it's so cool that it was birthed out of the church. And I think for us, it was so important to have that at Mosaic to go, oh, this sure. is an art gallery that was going to host many things. Which, something I noticed was the, the the level of honor. Like, I know some people, not everybody in there was saved or, you know, but like, as people came up, standing ovation, even though I never heard of the person, or most people didn't, you we know. Love that, yeah. And, and it was crazy that you felt that, and that you didn't have to conjure that up. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it was just really cool. You said at the beginning, yo, if they're on this stage, I trust them. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's, you know, and they're gonna just come one after the other. I think it was really cool. Yeah, I thought the other really cool thing is we didn't do introductions. Yeah. You know, we didn't have to read anybody's resume. We didn't have to read anyone's history. 
we just said our friend Jamie Lima is coming up, our friend John Gordon's coming up, our friend Phil Jones is coming up, Fred Todd Herman's coming up, our friend Jerry Lorenzo is coming up, our friend Edwin Oriapi is coming up, and people just celebrated. So if you want to know more, Google them. Right. You know, it was. I think I, it's so smart. I felt like the curator of the Louvre. Where when you walk into the Louvre, you're not asking, does this art deserve to be in here? Right. Because if you walk into the Louvre, you know it's been curated properly. And I felt that I had the privilege to be a curator of human talent and that Aaron and I together had the, the opportunity to create a new human gallery that hmm. I didn't know was going to be what it became. Hmm. And uh, I went way past my level of faith. Or expectation, mm. Mm. and and then you know, and I, I'm, I think before we even started, Aaron's like, "We need to do it next year." And I'm like, "Really?" Because you know, I was thinking maybe just do the like this once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's just do this thing once, you know. And it was, I think, on Monday, and the event was on thir Thursday, Friday. Yeah. Aaron goes, "Dad, could you invite a couple of people for next year so we can advertise them?" And I'm like. I, I was actually getting this little sick feeling going, oh, if I ask a couple <laughs> of my friends, I'm committed to doing this again. Yeah. And, and yeah. so I sent a, I thought, okay, I'll send air cover. I sent 10 private invites to 10 of my friends going, hey, would you be willing to speak next year? And all 10 said yes, so we were booked. And he goes, don't ask anybody else. We already have too many people. And then I still asked one or two more. But, and we realized people want to be a part of this. So good. And, and Aaron had a very, like, very initial, like, vision. He goes, Dad, we're going to replace Ted. Aaron's very competitive. competitive. You know, we're, we're going to make, and he was naming, like, these massive <laughs> events of hundreds of thousands of people. We're going to make them irrelevant. And some of it is. I, I didn't say that. I said <laughs> we are going to become the new version of what those were. Yes, you didn't say that. You we're, didn't say that. You yes. said they are choosing to stay relevant. Yeah. And yes. because of that, we need to create the new. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's true. Like I work with some organizations. I fight for them to become relevant and they just fight me the whole way. It's wild. I mean, years ago, I'm just going to say like I, I was trying to help a organization called Promise Keepers. I mean, I sat with their top executives going, you're going to cease to exist if you keep doing this. You need to change this, this and this. And they refused to make any of the changes and they disappeared. And I, I've seen massive multi-million, hundred million dollar organization disappear. Wow. Because they refuse to make the changes necessary. And and it shouldn't surprise us, right? Uh, if you follow sports, there used to be a conference called the Southwest Conference in football. But the problem is the Southwest Conference was all Texas teams. And Texas is a little cocky as a state, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, they didn't feel like they needed anybody else. And then they invited, I think, Oklahoma and Arkansas and treated them like second-class citizens. So those two schools eventually left. The Southwest Conference ceased to exist it was probably the most respected conference in America. And no one could have ever imagined it disappearing. And I'm telling you, nothing and nobody is guaranteed a future. If you hold on to the past, you will lose the future. And I think right now with the arena, what we're doing is we're just, you know, we're saying there's a future waiting for us. And, and so many very, very successful organizations are holding on to their success. And so they're losing their chance to create the future. That's why, you know, I, I, we're just in this conversation saying, everyone's saying that all the entrepreneurial space is taken, that there's no new ideas, there's no new spaces. I'm like, don't let giant companies fool you. Mm. 
Giant companies cannot move at the level of speed that they did to get them to what made them a giant company. If you move into a market and you move fast and you're inventive and creative and gutsy, you can take over the market because you can move faster. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, in some sense, yeah, you feel it. I, yeah. This is what I'm feeling with the arena. I'm just yeah. going to say it. I think the arena is the future. Yeah. And yeah. I'm really excited about it. But when you asked about the jack of all trades, I do want to say this. I, um, I never, I've never thought I had a natural skill. Like I never grew up thinking, oh, I, this is my natural talent. And, um, and so I always thought this is what people need. And maybe I can grow into that. So I spent 10 years working with the urban poor. And I felt like they didn't have anyone who really gave their time to teach and to speak at the highest level possible. So really the first 10 years as a, as a speaker, as a pastor, as a preacher, um, I was just trying to be the best I could be because these people deserve the best. Because hmm. it, it would frustrate me. I'd go to the grocery store and the food would be expired food. The groceries would be the grocery shit from the expensive affluent neighborhood to this impoverished neighborhood. The meat would be all the stuff that hit the expiration date, then shipped to this grocery store. I lived for 10 years in, in an environment where the community always got the worst of everything. And that drove me. I said, I want to be the best communicator in the world. Not because I thought there was a competition, but because I, I wanted to bring to these people what I felt they deserved, the best of the best. And it didn't matter to me if anyone else ever thought I was the best. And, I, and that's what drove me to be a communicator. It wasn't like, oh, I think this is my, my craft or this is my area. Okay. But I did learn how to be a storyteller. I did learn how to connect to people at a, at a deep level. And that translated. So then I, be, I was able to become a writer because of that. And because I treated words as an art form. And so now speaking words and then writing words it's just transferring my same mastery to a different arena and then i worked as a futurist and started working as a consultant for companies but the reason i could communicate so well was i understood humans the reason i could write well is that i understood humans and the reason i could work as a consultant for companies is because i understood humans see so i don't know if i'm a That's jack really of good. all trades i think i'm a jack of one trade and a master in many arenas and if you develop a mastery in something, you can actually move it to different arenas. And I, I think that. that's when you're working from strength to strength. That's money. That's so good. Can I flip it on you? Because you, you started in one part of YouTube and like creating videos as a creator. And now you're really, you are like moving into new arenas, new spaces. How's that journey been for you? It is, yeah, like you said, when you own it in one space mm -hmm. or arena or department, <laughs> 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 that that other industries, circles, sectors notice it. Mm -hmm. And so like, I, it's crazy. I, I've, I've been invited to speak at masterminds and circles that I didn't even know existed, <laughs> you know, and, and, then, and then I become the guy in that circle. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it is cool, but all it took was just literally in the mundane, just, you know, whipping out videos, making tech tutorials, you know, and like uh, learning the, 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 the insights of something. I didn't know that at the end of the day, or, you know, 15 years from picking up a camera, that it would be just one of the the best uses of time is to make videos in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And so uh, mixing that with church and all, like I think the, the, the dynamic favor of God, it, I don't know, like I think, I think it's been, it, I think it's very encouraging if somebody doesn't feel like they are at the top of their game yet, just, yeah, just become top in one thing mm. and it will be able to spread. I think there's a principle there for sure.
Yeah. Like Aaron is a really extraordinary strategic thinker. Mm-hmm. Like he can, even when he was little, I would take him to meetings around the world and there'd be 15 people in the room. And afterwards mm-hmm. he'd go, daddy, can I tell you what I see about every person? <laughs> and you tell me if I'm right. <laughs> and he would literally go person by person and go, that person actually has the talent to pull off what he's saying. That person's never going to do it. That person, like, <laughs> would literally go around the room. Is that what you guys Young do? Is that what you guys do on the arena calls? <laughs> it is what we do. We just, we just cut through their souls. <laughs> and he had such keen insight at an early age that it was astonishing to me mm-hmm. how well he could read the disconnect between vision and execution, between uh, a person's values and strategies, and and that's like that's his superpower. And he could take that into any arena yep. that he actually had interest in. And, you know, so he could, you know, go into the, the film world and take that same strategic mind and suddenly become like a great director or take it into the business world and become a businessman. But it's the same core skill of who he is, so but good. applying it in different spaces. And mm-hmm. what's crazy, just the thought of that, is that the value the value on you can is could be 10, 100,000 X Mm-hmm. in this space than in this space. Like, I guess a good, good good example is I've been trying to craft like an offer for for a certain type of individual that I'm like, I don't know who it's for, but I know how much I'm gonna charge for it. Hmm. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but when somebody illuminated to me that this click funnels world where these people are paying hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to sustain their businesses because their business is built on ad spend, that they don't know, they don't have any idea. They All these people don't have audiences they don't have organic reach. Mm. And so learning video for them, it almost is like, dude, take part of this few hundred thousands I'm spending and I 100% would adopt that. But me trying to find like a small business trying to start, you know, teaching people who are trying to get into content creation uh, because they have a small business or something, it's not the, that's not the right individual. But I'm not teaching anything different. I just found a different arena that values it way more, mm. which is just just good insight because mm. if you're just good at what you do, there, there could be a, a sector that would super help. Yeah, I mean, for years I've, I've tried to tell her, man, start a marketing and branding company. Like you are a marketing and branding genius. And a lot of people don't realize when you, when you, when you learn skills at the church, when you can make church look cool. Oh, dude. <laughs> you know? well, it makes me happy that you like the Instagram because that was like, that was the thing I got that was the thing I got stuck with, oh, and the thing I got to take on, which was cool. Yeah, and it, and it was cool when people started like giving their lives to Jesus because they're like, "Hey, we connected with the Instagram." Dude, and we started watching right. the YouTube, and I was like, "Oh, cool! That's my marketing funnel right. at the time, right?" And then, and it was always to compete with so him. Yeah. It was like, "Okay, your personal brand is so much larger than than Mosaics. Let me," because it really was. It was like you were in the you know hundreds of thousand people touring around the the world. And Mosaic was always this kind of smaller, more intimate community. The smallest audience he would ever speak to was Mosaic. That's crazy. It's actually true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And That's so the I, same with Pastor, Pastor Javen. Yeah. Like he gets invited to speak at like the biggest churches and like, yeah, this room in here seats 200 people. Mm-hmm. So on a Sunday, he literally fly in home to speak at his church and it's like the smallest room. <laughs> but it's there's something cool about that because it's so like there, you get something different at home than, right. than these people are getting anywhere else, right? And and there's something to speak to his character and the dedication with that. Because even with you, it was like, I, I would always tell him like, why? Why do you do that? And he's like, no, because no, it's 
the the promise is there. It's gonna it's gonna happen. And then to watch Mosaic become what it's become is really a beautiful thing. We always say that Mosaic swings like far beyond its weight class, mm-hmm. you know, because we're that. we're not big. But because we're not, we don't live with the same limitations of people who really are. Mm-hmm. So we're able to be wild and do things and just roll with it and. I love that. And so like we, we talked about a marketing branding agency and I was like, I don't know if that's that's what it is. But but I do think that uh, the ability to, to learn honing that skills was a, was a gift to me, you know. Yeah. You said something casually, but I want to know how to do it. You said, uh, you know, when because you, you understood human, humans, mm-hmm. how do you understand humans better? Well, that's, yeah, that's a good question. I guess my, uh, my sales approach is to say, um, you need to dive into a large communication. <laughs> and, uh, but not because I'm trying to sell you something, but mm-hmm. because in six hours you will understand yourself and humans at a level you've never understood them. Because I put a massive amount of anthropology. And that's what people don't realize is that I'm really more of an anthropologist and you know, like a social anthropologist where I understand humans and human interaction, human dynamic. And the art of communication really is an anthropology to help you understand yourself and others. Um, I think some of it is, I've always felt like an outsider, so I've always observed humans, mm. and uh, and would even use language like as if I was an outsider. I've talked about humans as if they were a species, <laughs> and, uh, and I was a, an alien resident, and. Um, Robert Heinlein has a book called Stranger in a Strange Land, and I always felt like that was me. And so because of that, I think I, be, I began watching human behavior at a very early age, and then also trying to understand myself, and then going to Chapel Hill and studying psychology and um, really trying to understand abnormal behavior and uh, understanding why we do what we do, understanding what human brokenness looks like. And then from that, jumping to the other side and trying to understand human genius yeah. and what makes people unique, what makes them extraordinary. I think some of it is just paying attention, you, you know, being interested in people, understanding the difference between action and motive, um, intent and, you know, and implementation, and, and being honest about yourself, like going inside and going, why did I do this? Mm-hmm. You know, why do I feel this way? What's causing... You ever felt like you couldn't control your own bodies or your own emotions, responses. And it's, you're going, how can you act this way when I don't want you to act this way? You know, how can you feel this when I don't want to feel this, right? You know, mm-hmm. how can you have these thoughts when you don't want to have these thoughts? And it's almost like sometimes you can even take mastery over your own life. And, and so for me, it was just a deep dive of personal self-awareness and trying to ruthlessly excavate inside of me why I do what I do, why I think what I think what's going on inside of me. And, you know, so I, I, in some ways it's like, I feel like I have this um, psychotherapist inside of my brain always saying, hmm, or what? <laughs> Let's talk about why you did that. <laughs> that's good. And, and I think that's a part of it. And I think the highest level of intelligence is empathy. And once you can resonate, connect to a human being as if they're not something apart from you, that's when you're really moving to the highest level of understanding. That's good. And mm-hmm. I know so much of what we just talked about is a, a, a fraction of what you would get joining the arena. I'll put a link to it in the description of this podcast or on, on YouTube. And uh, and please look and check out all the things. I, I love that you say that, like, like, talk about invaluable. Somebody who's been communicating for 30 over, over 30 years, 
somebody who has built things with his uh, family and is building something new. And you say at, at some point you'll literally watch people's content. You'll watch their talks. You'll mm-hmm. watch their stuff and then like see how they can do better. Yeah. That's invaluable. Yeah, it's really amazing. I, and I think that's not going to happen forever. So that's why no. I would yeah. And, and it's only happening because Aaron has such a deep, intense commitment to helping people tactically. Like, I think I would be happy just staying up here. <laughs> like, I, I just want to talk from the universes beyond, you yeah, know. Yeah. And Aaron's like, no, you need to break down their talk and help them to get better. <laughs> this is a great, this, this is the best example I can come up with. I walked into our office yesterday and there was two, there's four big Ikea boxes. And that is like, that is just devastating <laughs> to me because then I got to deal with it. And so I show up and I'm like, okay, why are these still here? Why haven't they been built? And then you open an Ikea box and it just has the, the manual as big as the Bible, right? right. And if you're, if you're stupid enough to put it together yourself, that is like a journey. And like this man was sent without an instruction manual. And so I'm trying to write the instruction manual to go like, what we can't have is a once in a generation. I think that's the worst language you can ever have for someone. Because if it's only once, then you didn't do a good enough job teaching people the thing that you have, mm. that giving people the secret sauce. Right. And I'm a big believer on bottling up secret sauce and getting it to everyone. Sure. Sometimes I feel like Aaron's doing an autopsy on a human being. Yeah, that's like, still alive. Sit still. But I'm really grateful for it because yeah. for years, my wife came and said, please teach communication. Please teach communication. I would have never done it if he hadn't sat down with me and going, we're going to pull this out of you because we need to give this to the world. Yeah. And that's a huge part of our relationship is Aaron's able to go, all right, dad, this is what you've been doing. This is what the world needs. And we're gonna work really hard to build the bridge that shows people how to get there. And I don't think I have that intrinsic talent mm. to do that. Because some things for me came very intuitively. They came almost out of my essence as a human being. and. And then he, and then Aaron's grown up with me, and he goes, "You're making too many assumptions. You're jump, you're, you're starting at Q, and people need to start A. So can we get them to, you know, can we get some B, C, D in here? Yeah. And then the moment he's asking me the right questions, I can see it. So good. And and I think that's why we work so well together. Yeah, I think it's just, sorry. I know we're we're going a little long, but I think one of the big things was that. Just just attrition. I've been able to sit in the car from like a young boy to now, you know, being 35 years old. And I've heard the little things he said naturally, just subtly, like almost whispers of like, oh, that's why I do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and being able to like one of the things like he always walks on stage with a ton of energy. And so when we talked about how do you own a stage? I was I asked him, like, how, how do you feel so confident on the stage? How does that stage already feel like it's yours? He's like, oh, I do laps around the room before I ever walk on the stage. So I know every little corner. I'm seeing the people in the back left, in the front left, in the middle. I'm looking at people's eyes. I'm, I'm noticing the difference in diversity or age, X, Y, Z. And he goes, in the moment I walk on the stage, I jump into this thing like, it's a, like I have all of this energy. And he's like, when you go up on the stage afraid, you stay up there afraid. Thanks. So when you go up there running towards it, it's something that you now own. And I'm like, that, that. But if you ask me like, twice, it'll be like, out of that. I don't know, man. I just have a lot of energy. Like, All right. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, there's just certain types of individuals we need, like some people just need the handle. I just, it needs to be, yes. you know, put well and said well, and maybe some alliteration or, uh, yeah, but dude, that's so good. And I, I, I think one, like as we're wrapping, I, I love that you guys started a podcast. 
specifically mm-hmm. a video podcast. And I think, because uh, it fascinates me when, it, when, when somebody uh, later in their life values something that I've been valuing for half of mine. <laughs> and, and I would just like ask, what, what has been some of the, the best things you've seen out of starting a podcast? And I know it's gone through seasons and you changed the name to now uh, Mind, Mind, Shift. Mind Shift. But yeah, um, but yeah what has been some, some unlocks you guys have gotten from having it? Well, first off, at one point, because you are a master of YouTube, you have to come onto the arena with us and break down all the things we do wrong with our podcast. Like, really, like, just be like, you didn't start that well. Because one thing I noticed with you, you jump out the gate with a hook. Mm-hmm. And I were so, I, you watch the intro of our thing, is like, hey, what's up? Like, hey, good to see you. We, we like, jump out the gate, yeah, jumping like who, into the boat. Like, who no, are, but, like but tell I would who say, you are. Well, one thing I do say is, as the creator, as the owner of the, crea- the creative, you, you decide the expectation for the audience, like you did at the arena live in Los Angeles. So, like, I would just first off say, it's fine. Okay, but yeah, I would I would love to too. No, but <laughs> we would. Well, I think that was an invitation for you to come it, on it our is. podcast. I hope you'll come. Oh, yeah. dude, does. and and let us like extract your genius. Mm. So not only for us, but for all of our all audience. people. Yeah, but what's maybe also for us. What's yeah? <laughs> what's something you've picked up on the pod? Um, Just doing it, like you know, it, it's a it's a form of it's a form of medium that you decided to go yeah. go in and. I think several things. One is that. Um, people underestimate how important the questions are. They think the answers are more important. Mm. Like a lot of times in our podcast, Aaron's one always driving the questions. And early on, I mean, it was sometimes people would be brutal. You know, Aaron, stop. Oh, Aaron do for the first three years, it was why the heck is Aaron? Like br- people cussing me out on DMs, like why the heck are you on this pod? Like you're such a like a, a child of nepotism. <laughs> you're like oh, literally like, like fake accounts being like, you're worthless. Oh, like dude, you, okay, you, oh. you stutter, dude. Like, here's what's crazy. The reason why I wanted Aaron, people don't know this, but like the the resetting of attention on this podcast because there's a third voice, and I, I wanted your your in, your take on following you yeah. know, your dad. I like people don't realize that like having three is actually genius. <laughs> Over two, you know. But anyway, and he's been begging me to do that for uh, so uh, long. Please, it's been me and you. I'm bored. We have nothing to talk about anymore. Yeah. So. One, I would say, like, people underestimate the power of the question. The question, yeah. And because Aaron wasn't afraid to go, you didn't answer the question. You didn't yeah. answer the question. Like, he would irritate me. I mean, almost make me mad because he goes, stop it. Answer the question. I go, I'm, I'm answering the question. <laughs> like, still, like, yeah. He goes, no, you're telling another story. Stop telling these stories. I don't want to hear another story. He drive me crazy, but I realize he's the only person that can drive me to a corner to force me to come to an answer or a position. And and I think people underestimate the power, the, the chemical energy of two people who are willing to disagree with each other publicly. Yeah. You, you know, and um, and then I, I, I and then he's asked me for years to have guests. And I would say no. I'd say, you know, you're my guest, I'm your guest. <laughs> you know. And and for me it's because the value for me was the conversation we were having together as um, father and son, mm-hmm. which I thought was really rare. Um, but now I love having guests. Now I'm like all in. It just took me a little while. Dude, and I love that. There was a there was a clip you guys posted with Charles Metcalf yeah. and you were like, you like coached him. 
<laughs> and Charles, but, that, but that one moment would buy in people don't want to watch that whole thing. Okay, this is some B BTS that Charles would hate me for saying, but like on Charles's <laughs> close friends, he was like, he, he screenshotted the clip and went, my man make me look real dumb. <laughs> and I responded like middle of the night, like, bro, I'm so sorry when you wake up, I will delete this. And he was like, no, 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 like, that's what I loved. I it knew this was going to happen. Oh, dude, it was such, it was such and a good moment. Shout out to Charles See, Metcalf I, for being willing to do it. I, I don't mean to do that, but I'm okay doing it with him. Yeah. But if you get on the show, you're going to do it. You dad them. I, you know. Um, I love it. Yeah, we, had, we, we were having this conversation, getting coffee right before meeting with you. And Aaron's like, Dad, Dad you see everyone through this lens. Like, I, I have a very ruthless approach toward myself. And, uh, and if I think people choose anything less than the hardest path, you know, my filter makes it a little bit jaded, I think. You, know? yeah, you don't respect people who take the easy way out. It's hard for me. But I understand that that's not right. Mm. I just understand that's me, <laughs> you know. And, uh, I would say you were coming to un understanding. <laughs> so he would say, I don't, think, I don't think you agree with me, Dad. I don't think you were listening. And... It's that level of disagreement and conversation that makes the podcast work. But I also like having people on, like I had at the arena, I had John Gordon and Todd Herman at the same time because I knew John did not agree with Todd. Hmm. And then I brought them up there for Q&A and I tried to get John to go, hey, John, you don't agree with Todd. So let's talk about that. Well, and can then, I ask you a question real quick? Yeah. You brought up John because you don't agree with Todd. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually like Todd. I love all three. No, of no, I didn't. I didn't say you don't like him. I said you don't agree with him. You no, actually really like him. Yeah. No, I do agree with alter egos because I've always had one all my life. Ah. I don't agree um, that having separate identities mm. is healthy. I think you have to have an integrated identity. That's good. You know, and so I actually wanted John because I agree with John and I agree with Todd, and I wanted I wanted to fight it out so maybe I could find my own conclusion. Sure, it, you know but that's really good that you would say that because I think about the uh, what's his name who played um, the Joker, Heath yeah, Ledger. Heath Ledger. Yeah, that's yeah. Part of it the wasn't problem. it wasn't integrated, and and it yeah, and it devastated him as a human being. Yeah, yeah. No, yes, I like I I I I'm a contradiction. I hate relational conflict. You know that I yes. hate relational conflict. Yes, I love ideological conflict. Mm -hmm. I love the conflict of ideas. Yeah, I mean, and you I don't like interpersonal conflict. Yeah, and, I mean, you. I, so essentially, like what we're doing in the arena, we're like we invited Todd to come back. So like, yes. hey, let's do an online summit, yeah. which is Todd versus Irwin, alter ego versus mind shift. Mm -hmm. So the first thirty minutes, bringing his ideas. The next thirty minutes, he brings his ideas, and they have another hour of like dialogue and and, and maybe debate, but or and also Q and A's. Sure. Who knows what it's going to look like? But I think there's a there's a curiousness because in the church, really, right? Like we're there to support each other and to cheer each other on. Right. Mm -hmm. There's not a huge level of or there's not a huge room. You will very rarely have a conference where there's guys who truly believe the opposite things. Sure. Within our faith. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is the beauty of the arena of like yeah. these guys who cares if the alter ego is wrong or the right. mind shift is wrong. It's like it's an idea a battle of ideas. And I'm very pragmatic in that um like when I started writing books is a weird thing. Whenever I was writing, I grew a beard. Whenever I wasn't writing, Whenever I finished the book, I shaved. Whenever I was writing, I saw myself as a philosopher. Whenever I finished writing, I, I shaved and I'd be a warrior. I would literally shave and look in the mirror. It's time to go back to war. I would literally say that to myself. Wow. 
And and then when I was writing a book, I'd go into this really esoteric, crazy space where I'd crash my cars or oh my gosh, you, you know, just I so just, bad. And and I'd grow my beard and I wouldn't, you know, my hair would be disheveled. And I just went to a whole different space. And I, what I found is somewhere around book ten, I realized one day, oh, I'm not going to shave because I am a warrior who is now also like a sage. And I integrated those two parts of myself. And now when I shave, I can't shave. Because mm. when I look at my face when I shave, I don't know that person anymore. Mm. And um, and I know that sounds weird, but you know, I think all artists are a little bit weird. Sure. <laughs> you know? And so I, I've always had that that tension, but I always I've always known it's because of broken identity too. So I, I, I didn't think it was just a compensation for being better on the stage. It was really me trying to find the most honest expression of me. And 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 so I'm fascinated by Alter Ego. I had Todd because I thought that was mm. one of the most creative ideas. Yeah. I came home telling Aaron when I met Todd, yeah. this guy's awesome. And so I think people don't know this is the guy that like told Kobe about he created Black, Black Mamba for Black Kobe Mamba. and coached uh, Rafa Nadal and Cristiano Ronaldo, so you know, top players in the world. And, uh, and frankly, one of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten in my entire life is when Todd Herman sends me a text and he goes, you remind me so much of Rafa Nadal that it's even eerie. And he's, Rafa Nadal is one of my favorite athletes in the world. So, mm -hmm. to, you know, and I just love his uh, essence. And so I, like, I took that as a great compliment. I also love John, John Gordon, who focuses on positive mindsets, positive thinking, and you know, He's one of my closest friends, but I don't agree with everything he says. You disagree yeah. with him all the time. Yeah. I do disagree with him quite a bit. Yeah, but I agree with his core. Yeah, you know, and I find that any really thoughtful person can agree and disagree with the same other person mm -hmm. and find great respect for one part of the view and out of alignment with another, and still say it's okay. Right. I don't expect Aaron to agree with me or you to agree with me one hundred percent. But um, I consider it a, a great honor if you at least consider my thoughts. Right. Does that make sense? You, yep. you know. Um, mm. yeah. yeah. So good. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us. Dude, thank you. Thank you for never quitting. Thank you for being incredible and helping him do the thing that he was mm. put on this planet. And, it, and, and how that looks to coincide with how it is with, with what you were put on this planet to do. And mm. I'm, I'm, I'm just cool. I, I'm, I'm blessed to have seen the inception of something new, even though I've been following all this long. Mm. Um, just want to encourage those to pick up the book Mind Shift. Doesn't take a uh, genius to think like one. Such an easy read, probably two hours. That's awesome. Um, yeah. It took me three hours to read the audiobook. Okay. So the audiobook took me three hours and seven, seven minutes. So it's a really fast read. Yeah, fast, easy read. And uh, check out the links to check out the uh, the arena and all the things going on. The Mind Shift podcast, which eventually maybe I'll be on. A, not maybe, I will no, be you're on gonna, you're gonna, yeah. I will fly in and, and come Please. straight and That's then awesome. hang. But uh, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for being on. Hey, thank you thank so you, much, Mark. Thanks so much, man.